In this episode, I am going to be talking to the awesome, phenomenal cosmetologist, hair salon owner, author, hair care activist, Miss Ladosha Wright. That's right, y'all. So make sure that you all have your notebooks, pens, pencils, whatever it is you choose to write with, because in this episode, there are going to be jewels, nuggets, and gems just dropped all through up in here on Real Reading Talk. Make sure you stay tuned. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Real Reading Talk. I am your most gracious host, Ms. Sasha. And with Real Reading Talk, I discuss the real systemic issues that are at the very core, the very foundation as to why there are low levels of literacy in the Black community and the ways in which we can combat these issues together. All right. And I talk about it in a way that's unapologetic. All right. Get to the core, the roots. All right. And so with all of that being said, again, this is season three, y'all. It's a season three, episode three, okay? And I got a banger for y'all today. Oh my goodness, I have a wonderful, phenomenal guest. And guess what, y'all? This is her second time here, okay? So I really feel honored. I'm like, yeah, she wanted to come back. <laughs> she was like, no, I ain't about to come back. <laughs> so I really, really feel super duper excited, y'all about this sister here. Uh, she is doing phenomenal things in Cleveland, Ohio, okay, when it comes to educating our people about hair, all right? She is a phenomenal cosmetologist, okay, an author, all right, and she's going to talk about also, also her recent documentary, you guys, okay, that I had the pleasure of being able to come to, to see when she had the premiere here in Cleveland, all right? So everyone, I want you all to welcome to Real Reading Talk, Miss LaDosha Wright. Welcome! I'm in a crummy voice, Oh my gosh, y'all. Well, we, oh my goodness, man, we are about to just delve right on in. First and foremost, of course, people need to know about you. All right. So I want you to let the audience know who you are, um, your background, where you grew up. Uh, we just going to start there. So I'm going to let you uh, go ahead and take the floor, Miss Ladosha Wright. A little bit of background about moi. Yes. Uh, Here's the background. So my background actually began uh, as an outreach worker, and I worked for um, uh, Family Health of Beachbrook. That would be like uh, in the early 2000s, so to speak. Um, uh, and so I started off as an outreach worker, and then that's what led to my career as a cosmetologist. And then while working as a cosmetologist, I decided, you know what, um, I would like to do a little bit more to help people to understand their hair. So the salon is really centered around teaching people how to take care of their hair. And my goddaughter, whose name is Kim Norvell, when she was a little girl, she kind of put me to the test when she was very upset about her hair. And so I wrote my very first book, and it was a children's book, and it's titled Curly Hair Adventures. And so that would be the book that kind of catapulted my career 
career as an indie author. And then from there, I said, you know, I had another book that was brewing, but I was a little nervous about putting that book out because, you know, I'm like, I don't know if I can do it again. And so with the help of the wonderful, illustrious um, Dr. Sandra Golden, I was able to produce my second book. And this is a self a self-help book and that book is titled what they don't tell you at the hair salon and so that became my claim to fame um, as a cosmetologist turned indie author oh my goodness that I mean that right there that story is just beautiful I mean I, I love how you went straight into the topic of you being an author, you know, and how you told us also, though, about how you started out with Beachbrook. Um, I want everybody, I, I want to come back to that. But what I want you also to, to give everybody like a little snippet in terms of how you were, uh, your, your upbringing in terms of, you know, where you grew up, and then what actually made you even get into uh, the profession of, uh, you know, working at a place like a Beachbrook um, and, and tell everybody too what, what Beachbrook is so that for those who may not know, you know, what Beachbrook is and then tell us how you grew up and how, what made you want to even get into that profession. Okay, so my upbringing um, is like a lot of people's very humble, but with a whole, whole, whole lot of love. So mm. I right here. I was born actually in Nashville, Tennessee. So a lot of people are like, what, what? yeah, so I was not born in Cleveland. I was actually born in Nashville, Tennessee. And so I was raised here in Cleveland my entire life. And I grew up down the way in the projects down in King Kennedy in the yellows, you know, then from there, we stayed on the south side of town near Garden Valley, and then we went on up towards Woodland, you know, Larchmere, near that area. So I, I, that's where I grew up at, and I've always had a, a love for reading from the time that I was, I can't, I don't even recall a life without a book. My mother was an avid, avid reader. My grandfather, he was always reading. My grandmother, she was always allowing me to read to her. I don't even know if I was able to read, but I can recall you know, just telling her stories with my little books or whatever. And so that's how um, my life was. It was just full of literature and um, a lot of love. I grew up in a very loving environment. We had some dysfunction, but best believe we had so much love that dysfunction, you know, I don't even know about all that. Um, I did become a teen mom at the tender age of 15. So I had my son at 15 years old and, you know, have my struggles like a lot of teen moms where I dropped out of school and eventually I did go back um, uh, and I went on to college. I graduated with honors and I have a degree um, in social science. And so um, and that's how I became an outreach worker. And I worked at for 15 years with Beachbrook. Uh, well, actually, it was Family Health of Beachbrook back in the day. And so Family Health of Beachbrook is a outreach organization. Um, it was located right here in Cleveland, Ohio. And the primary goal of this organization was really about family support. It was about unifying families. It was about parenting, you know, uh, working with foster parents, adoptive parents, you know, single parents, you know, fathers, you name it. Uh, um, you know, um, uh, 
you know, when your uh, when your your grandmother is raising you, things of that nature. So, so I did that, and my job primarily there was to actually teach parenting and anger management classes. And so that's how um, I actually became a hairstylist, was working, you know, in that line of work. I did, you know, go on to become a supervisor. I fared very well in that career. I did really, really good for myself. And I love, uh, I love, love, love working for family health. Wow, that is and, and I can see, you know, how that job fits you because just like when you started talking about your family, I mean, your whole face was just lit up. I mean, we could tell that you came from a family full of love, which, yeah, you know, and, and, and then, and then the fact, and one of the things that I just wanted to pinpoint to is that number one, when you talked about being living in the projects, okay, this is real reading. So we know in the black community, we know about living. Some people said down the way in the projects, brick city, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Terminology, you know what I'm saying? You know, where you at regionally or whatever, everybody got their project terms, but I love the fact that how you said you saw reading, you were surrounded by readers. And, you know, that's something that we truly have to, you know, get back to in our communities because these are things in which you we have in our communities. This was a part, big part of our culture. Whether you had our people reading news, the newspaper in front of us, you know what I'm saying. We remember getting them sets of encyclopedias. A lot of us in the black community know about that having them encyclopedias in the house. All right, so being surrounded by literacy, and that is something that is a part of our culture. And I'm glad that that was, you know, something that you saw, and that's something that you were raised around. Yeah, books were um, a very important part. We had, you know, looked at books in two ways, uh, definitely for a lot of fun, you know, a lot of fun. And then the other one was, you know, if if you said to my mom, well, I'm bored, she would always say, then go get a book. Wow. So, so, you know, was used in the other way, but, um, you know, not just in my home, but in my school, in my community, um, you know, books were just, you know, part of growing up uh, in the hood was that, you know, you read a lot. I mean, you read, um, as we go further to the interview, I'll talk about all the various ways um, that we read in the hood that doesn't get a lot of credit. And me being an indie author, going into the schools and working with children to get them to read, um, I have some dynamic ways to um, let children know that you read all the time because there's a myth that, you know, children hate reading, but that's not true. That's not true at all. Mm, I love that. Oh my goodness. And you, you hitting it. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we here for. Okay. Again, real reading talk. Yes. We definitely have to address the issues that we see in our community when it comes to, unfortunately, the lack of literacy. However, I love how Ladosha put it. We have to start changing the mindset and getting our people to understand, guess what? You don't hate reading because you're doing reading. You're just not realizing and you're not looking at it as reading. For example, I'm going to tell you something. I had a conversation earlier today with Brother Ephraim. We both know, brother in the you know, cosmetology field, activists and everything. And one of the things he talked about was how a lot of our people are getting reading in through reading those text messages. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I thought, and when he said that, I was like, I said, you know, I, I'm, I wasn't really, I never really 
thought about it like that. I mean, of course we know that because that's something we, a lot of us are doing, you know what I'm saying? We're reading our text messages, but that was something that he mentioned. He was saying how a lot of ways in which we may have to engage our young people is through sending some different, you know, messages through the text that are positive so that they are making sure that they are reading things that they're already reading anyway, but they're being inundated with positive messages and, you know, a lot of different uh, facts about history, especially in regards to Black people. So I thought that was, you know what I'm saying, very um, uh, intriguing. And it Uh was a great observation uh, that he had made. So, you know, with that being said, I wanted to uh, now jump forward, you know, into, I know you keep, you mentioned about being an indie author. What can you tell the, the audience? What, what is an indie author? An indie author is a person who actually will write their own work, such as the work that I have here. They may or they may not hire someone to edit their work, which I highly recommend that you get an editor, but it's not uncommon for a lot of indie authors to not have an editor because those do cost. Um, and then some people, um, they just kind of, you know, parts of their own work, they feel like they don't need an editor. And so what they'll do is that they will um, uh, pay to have a printer print it, or they can upload or download their actual uh, 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 file that they wrote on their computer or maybe even via their phone, and then they will sell it themselves. And so the proceeds will go to them, or if they have a nonprofit organization, uh, the money may go there. So an indie author is a person who actually writes. Um, they may even do the artwork or pay someone to do the artwork. So that means their their um, uh, the cover, their book covers and things of that nature or illustration, all that's done, you know, by the person who's doing the book and and whoever they may hire out. And then they print it and they sell it themselves. So there is no um, Penguin books, you know, um, know, uh, uh, Scholastic, you know, things of that nature for publishing houses who publish books, you know, for people. But indie authors, we do everything uh, ourselves and then we, um, we uh, you know, outsource, you know, um, some like editing or illustrations, you know, things of that nature, printing. But you can do all of it yourself in today with today's technology. So that's what an indie author is. Wow, you just educated me because I'm going to tell you, I got my daughter. She loves to write. That is one of the things that she is interested in doing. And then my son, he is a phenomenal artist. And I've been, I said, you guys, I want y'all to do an ebook and everything and, you know, go on that route. But I never, this right here, this sounds like another, you know, way, you know what I'm saying? Another avenue in which they could uh, partake in. And those of you obviously out there who are listening, your children or you as an adult, if you are interested in trying to write your own book, look into becoming an indie author. And uh, your listeners can also um, Google um, free publishing for children there. I can't think of one off the hand, but there are a plethora of uh, uh, printing companies who will print uh, or quote unquote publish, you know, um, any child's book at no cost. So I know um, over the, uh, during the pandemic, I did an online presentation uh, with my dear brother, Adam Morgan, who has a program, uh, Black Men of 
excellence. And so um, in his program, uh, what he does is primarily, you know, it's all, you know, boys. And so during my presentation, um, we actually wrote um, a book. And so we printed it and they were able to take the book home and uh, they could print some more and they could sell the book. So you're absolutely right. Um, children, um, they, there's so many resources to help children, you know, have their own books. And it's a lot of fun. I, I do so many activities with children around writing books. I could just go on for days, but that's just one of them. Wow. That, oh my goodness. You, you know what? You made me think about that quote that Toni Morrison said, which is if there is a book out there that you want to read and, ha and it has not been written, then you must write it. Oh, absolutely. 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 So children, they love to write books and nothing, nothing would make a child more happy than to, than to see their own work, you know, uh, show up in their hands. Oh, wow. I mean, this is amazing. And I, I'm going to ask you your opinion on this. I mean, because right here, I mean, we're talking about something that, uh, number one, I believe that a lot of our children aren't really being told, especially when it comes to our kids in the inner city schools, the schools that are, you know, under-resourced, underfunded. And then these are the schools in which you see a lot of our kids who are struggling when it comes to reading because I, I'm a part-time sub uh, for East Cleveland and I've used to sub for CMSD schools as well. And that is one of the things that I would see in terms of you'll have kids who will be in third grade, fourth grade, and they will be struggling with reading. But I would argue that something like this, what you're talking about in terms of getting our children to start thinking about Okay, writing about things, your story, telling things that you want to tell. And I, I write, would argue that that would help get them into reading. What, what say you about well, that? I, I, and I, you know, to be honest, I think that the issue with reading um, with children in the inner city, number one, is the language that we use. Like, you know, using words like in the inner city, you know, impoverished, you know, things because we're 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 definitely um we're putting them on blast, as you say. So and they know that. I mean <laughs> they know that. So that right there is definitely going to be one of the problems is the language that we use to identify the population who actually needs uh, assistance in reading that's number one. Number two, the way in which uh, uh, children speak some ch because reading out loud is not, it's not comfortable uh, for a lot of children or reading to someone because of communication issues. So a lot of children can read. It's just the talking and saying it out loud and uh, in the intimate one-on-one -on -one, that makes children feel extremely, you know, uncomfortable uh, because of the dichotomy that takes place in the home with communication. So we change the manner in which we allow children to read or we read to them or have them read to us or tell us a story, you know, um, you're going to see like, oh, I guess that kid can read. So I see that a lot. 
uh, uh, number, the, 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 uh, the fourth thing uh, that I see, of course, is uh, relevance. Like, is the book relevant to what the child would like to read? Um, and then fifth is the one that I see that I never get a chance to see, is the opportunity to allow the child to embellish on the story. So when most children read books, they always have something to say about what they just read, where they either want to expand the story or they want to say why the story was just absolutely horrible. <laughs> but working with children, most people don't want to hear that. They don't want to mm. hear you say, I don't like that book. Um, but that's part of it. <laughs> Any person who loves to read and loves to, you know, uh, uh, um, write, part of the both exchange is that somebody is not going to like it. And so I think one of the challenges with literacy um, uh, for our children are those four things, you know. Um, and, and again, you know, it's just, uh, uh, you know, uh, allowing the child to, you know, have some exchange about it, um, the, the type of content, the manner in which the child, because some children are not talkative, They're, and, you know, because of the, of the dichotomy of how communication takes place in the home. And then, like I said, last but not least, let the child just really tell you like that's a stupid book <laughs> um, <laughs> something that they have to read for a class and because that's part of reading is you know to express and you know okay well you don't like it and then you know proceed so when I'm working with children um, I I only see success in reading I've never been to any setting I, I mean, I've been to so many schools in the quote unquote inner cities where I've been told that, you know, um, this is a, a class with like, you know, uh, learning and, uh, mm -hmm. children learning disabilities because they don't like to, you know, they've changed the way that they say it now. Mm -hmm. And um, I can remember this one particular school. I was in Harvey Rice and they told me that this was a class that has some challenges in reading. Mm -hmm. And so I totally disagreed with that. And so um, because I know children like everything fast, so what I switched my reading was that we were going to have a reading contest of who could read the fastest and who could read the slowest. And when I tell you those kids were, it was the funniest and the teacher was like, and I said, yeah. So, and, the, and these were kids that they said could not read, would never read, but we just have to switch the, the manner in which we introduce, you know, the, the material to the child. Because like Ephraim said, you know, texting is one way, but of course the teacher would say, well, no, that is not reading and comprehension. And I'm not a reading expert, but I get what they're saying, but just that contest of getting a child to read fast, who could read the slowest, you know, who could change this to Ebonics? You know, can you take this story and, you know, what, break it down in your mind. Oh, this is what he really meant. You know, you're talking about funny, fun. They didn't want me to leave. I remember going to another school, FDR, and these uh, were preteens and, uh, and teenagers. So we're talking about 12 to about like 13, some 14, and they were unanimous. They all hated to read. And so um, they hated to read books. And I said, well, we need more books about children who hate to read. Who would write that book? How many children do you think raised their hands? Every <laughs> one of them. Now, 
between you and me, we ain't gonna tell them that we just got to, to read and write. Right. Just, just write this book about why you hate to read and why books are stupid. And what would be the name of the book or whatever you want to, this is a stupid ass book. Well, write this, that book. No. Um, went on and on. And so, it, it, you know, we talked about how you read when you, you know, you see the signs, when you're going to cross the street, when you read directions and just to see the whole room, just calm down. Like, yeah, mm. we do actually read. So I always beg to differ when I hear, um, you know, about those studies and people use that type of a language. And I'm like, listen, I'm from the hood. And I, I, I was one of those kids, you know, that um, I ain't no telling what they said about me, you know, or my my peers, my friends. We were living in the hood, um, but uh, we were some pretty smart whippersnappers in our own little, you know, space, you know. Um, but we just have to really rethink, and we have to use some new language, and we have to be more engaging, and we have to let these children know that we know they can read. They can read. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I agree with you definitely on the fact of, by the way, that that right there, I just want to just uh, pinpoint how I love how you mentioned the different aspects of how reading takes place. Um, that is something that I've definitely talked about before in terms of, you know, look, you're reading signs, you know, when you are going all out, you know, in the community or, you know, when you are in a car or on the bus or walking or whatever the case, you are doing reading. I remember you mentioned before in our last uh, conversation that we had in terms of reading the back of the box of cereal, mm -hmm. you know, those types of things. I remember you talking about that before. And I love how you talked about in terms of meeting them where they are, because that's what you're saying, yes. not trying to box them in and label them. And of course, you know, and I use inner city, you know, of course, this is real reading talk. So we know we talk about black folks, but, you know, just, you know, just for context, just letting people know, hey, look, you know, when you in the hood, inner city, whatever, you know, you see a lot of our children. And this is something that I definitely have seen personally where, You'll have kids, you'll ask them, okay, can you, you know, read, read this paragraph, you know, out loud. And some will, you know, want to do it and they'll try, you know, and, and they'll, they'll be stumbling over words that, you know, I'm like, okay, I know they should know some of these words. And mm -hmm. it's not the thing that they obviously they're capable, but what we know can happen is if our children are not around that literacy, like how you said you grew up in, if they're not being read to, if they're not seeing the adults around them reading, you know, and they're not having conversations, that's mm -hmm. a key integral part of building I, those literacy skills. Yeah, that's why the, the dichotomy of yes. the communication. Yeah. You, because if you know you know, what's taking place in the home around that communication when you're trying to engage the parent to get the child to, you know, uh, for the parent to read to the child and vice versa, um, you know, to me, and I'm, like I said, I'm not a reading expert or anything of that nature, but when I have been successful in engaging parents, you know, to get their child to read, my experience has always been um, the, the conversation around communication should always come first. 
And it, it just doesn't really happen because uh, I don't know why that doesn't happen, um, but it just, it just doesn't. But you can't really get a parent or convince or, you know, uh, explain or whatever, you know, directive you want to give a parent to um, get them to understand the importance of reading to their child if you don't, to me, discuss communication. Yeah. And you're saying something that this is what Dr. Amos Wilson, he talked about in his book, uh, The Developmental Psychology of the Black Child. And that's the key thing. He literally talked about that in terms of that communication that you're having at home. And, I, and I'm going to tell you one of the things that I see and that I've learned in terms of why that communication is not happening. A big part of it is because when you have a community that is stressed, economically depressed, um, you have a community that is always trying to struggle and survive like good times, you know what I'm saying? Having that, being surrounded by that, um, and then coupled with, you know, whatever other issues that are going on, if there is a single parent home, okay, or if you got other issues in the family, and these are things that we know that is real in our community. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and so and right, exactly. These these are real things, right? You know what I'm saying. And then you talk about just the the systemic racism that we see all around us daily. All of that impacts that part of that brain in which you know allows you to be able to think and use more of your cortex. So those are the things in which we're missing that whole processing, that being able to, you know, be like, okay, you know what, I'm going to settle down, you know, so, you know, how, how was your school day? You know, uh, you know, Muhammad, you know, how did you do today? You know, tell me, get, give me a little bit more. I know you said it was good. You know what I'm saying? Can you tell me about what was good in your school day? Or, or you said that it was bad. What happened? You know, can you be a little more clear? Those are ways in which we can engage with our children. But it's hard to do that if you are in a stressful situation. It's hard for you to do everything. It's just, all right, all right, come on. You, you got your homework. What did what, it say? You know what I'm saying? Oh, why, why you do bad? You know what I'm saying? What's, all right, you on punishment. You know what I'm saying? Everything is just, da, 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 go, 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 go. Not time to really relax. Like how you said you grew up in your home. You felt the love, the energy, the relaxation, the nurturing everybody around you hovering over you and your family, everybody is together, which helps to build your learning capacity. And I truly, yeah. I truly believe that's what we need more of. Now we have it all like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we you said, wait a minute, now hold up. We have it all. We, you know, I, the thing of it is, is that, you know, my, my career was really fueled to me by a lack of coping mechanisms for the average bear. And in my home growing up, we had, you know, drug addiction. We had, you know, my mother sold marijuana, <laughs> you know, right? We you literally did. She sold marijuana. Um, uh, uh, we had prostitution, you know, we had family members who were prostitutes. So we we had the real live you know, issues, how were we able to uh, interweave, you know, reading into an environment that probably everybody should have been going to jail, technically, everybody by this, you know, by legally forgets a standard. Mm -hmm. These things were against the law. Mm -hmm. You cannot, you cannot have prostitution, you know. Of course, of course. Uh, you right. Couldn't have 
things, but how are we able to uh, interweave, you know, a book into um, a, a situation like that? Uh, books were used as a distraction. <laughs> go read a book, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so books were not introduced in, a, in, in that type of a, a way, but um, we, we had the books there. Our parents, you know, used the books for those types of reasons. And then of course we had the community, we had church, we had grandparents, we had the nosy neighbor next door. You know, we had all those, you know, uh, the same things that are still exist in all communities. You know, they were there to influence and, uh, and, and help us, you know, get through that. And when I say us, I mean me and the people in my family, as well as other people in our community, because my mother wasn't the only person, you know, who was selling some weed. Um, um, uh, you know, Ray Ray's uh, cousin wasn't the only drunk, you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. everybody had some type of a quote unquote social ills going on in the home. And books were actually used to kind of soothe some of the dysfunction um, that was around us. And when you went to school, you had a, a nice reward if you, you know, if you were a reader or a silent reader. Uh, we were blessed to go to a school system who knew uh, that we were all coming out of these situations. And, uh, and so they were catering, you know, uh, their, their teaching styles uh, to, you know, to the environment. Now, I'm not saying teachers don't do that today. I'm just giving you, you know, um, my background. And so through all of that, when I say we still had, uh, we and love, even though all of those things were not perfect, um, you know, it was not the perfect upbringing, but the love was just here, the I love you, um, you know, me and my siblings, like we never fought, um, we were always wow. beautiful, even if they was drunk, come here, girl, yes, so beautiful, <laughs> God, you smell the liquor, <laughs> you know, you had just fighting yeah come here girl you're, like, you're so beautiful i don't want you fighting like me you know what i'm saying so, right awesome, crazy. this is kind of not healthy you know what i'm saying oh um, lord but all right. you know, we knew um uh that we were loved and we were told that we love and we said i love you you mm -hmm. know um so that's how you know when i say love that that truly uh, was love. So through everybody's struggles and ups and downs and highs and lows, uh, I, I know the love carried us through and books, they played a very, very pivotal role mm -hmm. as a action, as a reward. I mean, books were used in many, many ways beyond uh, what we thought would happen in the end. You know, mm -hmm. often that happens when a child reads a book. I don't think my mother was having us read because she wanted us to get good grades. You know what I'm saying? Um, mm. She read because you got a brain and your ass gonna read. <laughs> okay, okay. She didn't really have like a mission. Um, mm. mm -hmm. bought the encyclopedias. You know, they put the money down. My mom had mm -hmm. to for it so you know we had that that and i think encyclopedias were like little libraries because you know sometimes somebody was you know um not there to you know we couldn't be out you know uh get back in the house and things of that nature so the life the encyclopedia served as an in-house uh 
you know, library. And we had to read them because, you know, that cost them a lot of money. So our parents were like, well, I spent this money. You go read. Like, oh, right. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. He had, um, I think that when we think children's thing is we have to really incorporate what's really happening in the home and as we say when I used to be an outreach worker is that we can't turn these disclosures into crises because these are the children's lifestyle you know um, we know like I said you can't be selling marijuana you know you have to report that back in the day you did not have to report that (laughs) today you have to report because, you know, the, the United States is not, it's not the same place it was, you know, back in the 70s. Marijuana was meant something totally different. But again, depending on where you live at, so like someone could be listening to this podcast from California where marijuana is legal, you know? So you have a whole lot of different, you know, dichotomies. I think what was so unique back in those days were, were the coping mechanisms. And that's what I use my work as a cosmetologist, um, my work as an indie author, as an activist, is really to help people cope because you're never going to get rid of social ills. There's always going to be some struggling with something, food addiction, drug addiction. Someone's always going to be, you know, in and out of the joint, you know, somebody going to be trying to hustle a little weed or, you know, what little rocks, ready rocks or whatever they call them nowadays. Somebody's always going to do a little something. You cannot escape that uh, for wherever you live. It used to be an inner city problem, but now you see your fentanyl. These things are now permeated throughout society. So what we do as people who um, are pro-literacy, we have to find unique ways to interweave literacy into those situations uh, because children are living. They are living with a parent who has come home from prison or coming out of a rehab and so on and so forth. How do you get literacy into that situation? Oh, just ask the people who live through it. They'll tell you, oh, LaDosha just said they use books to cope, like get the kids out the way when the mother getting high. Y'all go get... um, Y'all go get uh, that Sam I am. <laughs> go mm. get, you know, go read a book and your mother says so she gets herself together. And that's what we did. Mm. I don't know that. Uh, and whoever didn't know how to read it was, you know, well, we was helping so-and-so read and you came up and that didn't mean that your, 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 your family member was going to be automatically sober or the fighting was going to automatically stop. Mm. But it, the child do what cope while the family was able to get through that situation and hopefully begin a process to undo some of those social ills. And that doesn't happen in one home visit. Sometimes, you know, it took years to help a lot of those families out. And unfortunately, what you know, it doesn't always turn out the way that we want but people like you and I you know we have to be there in a very creative way um, because those issues they will they will never go away they just they just won't I under yeah I understand what you're saying and and you're absolutely correct and there's never ever going to be a utopia mm-hmm. one of the things that I definitely am in uh intentional about is doing my best with what I do into 
stopping us passing on this generational trauma that you talked about that mm -hmm. even though like you said cuz i grew up in, in in a similar way of course seeing a lot of the ills a lot of the struggles and again we know how to make a way out of no way because mm -hmm. that's the type of people that we are however i think about what dr joy degru has talked about in her book right here post-traumatic slave syndrome america's legacy of enduring injury and healing mm -hmm. and you know, one of the things that she talked about is that these different types of uh, things that we have coped with or different things that we have dealt with in our communities was because of the fact of, of course, the legacy that started uh, with slavery, our ancestors being enslaved and all of that transgenerational trauma, all of that stuff that was being, uh, you know, transferred from generation to generation. Absolutely. Which led us to what you articulated uh, very well in terms of the the social ills that we see, you know, the drug addiction, the alcohol addiction, because we know, as we know, you know, I mean, that this is a, you know, I'm not definitely not equipped at all in, in terms of talking about addiction. But one thing I do know, and which you know as well, when people are addicted to something, it's usually because of something that lacked somewhere in their emotional development, their emotional state when they were being raised. And so that's where you have that uh, those addictive behaviors wind up coming into play. That's why you may have somebody, they may have tried some marijuana, they may have tried a little alcohol, but it didn't really affect them. They, it was like, okay, yeah, I tried or whatever. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want that. But you have those who they try it and then they realize that, you know, this takes me away from this crap that I'm dealing with on a daily basis. So I'm going to go back there. I'm right. going to go to there because it's going to take me out of the reality of what it is that I'm dealing with within our communities. And that's what one of the things in which I am definitely intentional about trying to help our community get rid of that as much as we can. Yeah, it's not no utopia. This is earth, right? You know what I'm saying? This is, you know, ain't nothing going to be perfect. This is a test. You know what I'm saying? Period. Right. But what we, but what we can do is start, you know, implementing different things that are more positive and healthy in terms of when it comes to literacy, when it comes to our community, because one of the key things you said too was community. You mm -hmm. talked about your family, not just your mom, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, grandma and everybody, you talked about the uncles, you talked about the nosy neighbor, all of that. That's what Dr. Joy DeGruy talked about as well. She was like talking about how, yeah, you may have had that teen pregnancy, but guess what? Everybody wrapped their hands around the sister who was carrying that baby at 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Everybody was there to try to help and nurture, still helping raising the 15-year-old and the new baby all at the same time. So that's right. the key that we got to really get back to in terms of our community base, uh, because when you're disconnected, it does affect things like your learning. So it's going to affect you saying when you have those kids that you said that, that they were like, I hate reading. I want to, and I've heard those too. I hate reading. I don't want to read why we got to read, but I love how creative you was with it. You said, okay, so let's, let's, let's talk about that. Let's write a book about why you hate reading. <laughs> I mean, how clever. Yeah. They were off like, because I mean, 
when we look at what people are going through on a day-to-day basis, and that's to me, the magic word is always coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. People need to know how to cope through mm-hmm. and during the actual situation be it a crisis or a way of life or however we want to define it. Um, when you're when you're up against that, something that's challenging your feel-good area, what are some of the things that we can do? And I know in our home, one of the biggest things that we could do when we saw things, we heard things, we felt a certain way, uh, we couldn't get what we wanted, we didn't have enough, and that could be food, heat, water, lights, you know, what could we do? And um, that was always, uh, we could read. Um, mm-hmm. And there are certain activities in the homes that are segues into reading and segues out of reading. You know, um, so we just have to be if those of us who really want to work with people, you know, in the inner city um, in impoverished situations, um, you know, just have some type of a lack in so many areas. We we really, 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 really have to incorporate um, those issues into that that literacy uh, goal. You know, you can't overlook them um, and you cannot address them head on. You know, you acknowledge that, oh, well, this is a child that's living in a home that does not have any electricity. Okay, so we're, this is going to be interesting in getting this child to read when there's no light. Light is going to be dark real soon. You know, how do we work this out with this kid? That's the things that we have to think about. Um, is we, we have a child who loves to read, but the parent doesn't. How do we get that parent to connect with that child? The And, and there's so many fun ways. I remember I worked with another uh, program that was around literacy and the parent was the, the person was saying, the parent doesn't even show up. I mean, I had to take the kid home and the parent met me halfway in the alley. I said, well, then you guys need to have an award for all the parents who meet you halfway. You have to come back. You're going to say, you're going to come to the group because we have a surprise for you. But you met me halfway. And that's what it's all about in, in life. You met me halfway. We have to kind of shift. You know, just the way we think about, and I'm not saying you're rewarding a negative behavior, but there is something to be said about a parent who met you halfway, even if it was after, you know, it's something to say about a parent who left their kid at daycare and they, they eventually showed up an hour later and I was stuck at work. I was stuck in traffic. Even if you could smell the marijuana, (laughs) you know, you could smell the 40 ounce on them. They showed up. So let's start from the fact they showed up. Let's start right there. And mm-hmm. then we begin. And I'm telling you, I did this for years. That is where you just get a little tiny crack because that's not something that a parent is going to be ready. Like, wait a minute. You just said, what? girl, you showed up. Mm-hmm. And I just commend you for that. Like, oh, yeah, you still have a $5 late fee. <laughs> Accountability, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I'm so glad, you know, mm-hmm. you and that's just, that's, that's, you know, uh, different. And you just, you ease in, you know, that book about 
reality or showing up. Here's a great book for your child about showing up in the midst of it all. You think that parent ain't gonna wanna go home and, and you got, got them a little reward or whatever, you know, you wanna come through the speaker for, uh, yes, we want to reward uh, LaDosha Wright. She showed up today. So can we just give her a round of applause? And it's just like, oh my God, right. whoever, these people have never had, and that, and you know, that, mm. I was like, well, we hope you come back and help us next year. <laughs> right, right. Oh man. So these are some of those tactics that I use in my line of work as an outreach worker um, in my parenting classes, which were always, I mean, that, that, that name right there, parenting classes, nobody was showing up. But what was the issue? The number one issue in the parenting was hair. So I asked my supervisor, can we change the name of the parenting and the anger management classes? to how to have a good hair day every day. And she said, okay, we did that and everybody showed up. Imagine if you changed the reading to um, how to how to get on TikTok every day. You think people ain't gonna wanna read that? Mm. Girl, let me tell you something. <laughs> you wow. Know, TikTok, how to get five followers on TikTok. And you got a book and you put in the math. It's like curly hair adventures, you know. Um, mm -hmm. this, pointed that out to me in my book about the different countries that they go to yes. and out. I mean all, can you count the number of languages you know things that we just don't realize that's already interwoven and before you know it it doesn't take much it doesn't take and that's for both the parent and the child because mm -hmm. we you know, when we're working with families, we're also working with them on what? Their psychosocial development. So the parent could be 55, like me. She could be 45 or 35, like you. <laughs> but psychosocially, she could be 17. Yeah. So you're yeah. the care to address that parent at a 17-year-old mindset. Hmm. The age, you know? Again, to uh, really help and you know the, the the parent out, even though you know she's fifty five, but psychosocially she's you know she's just she might be twelve, thirteen. You know, um, haven't mastered those skills, which we know because we have some college education that has taught us brain development only happens. You only, the neurons, the dentrons, all of those, ask any neural, you know, scientists or, you know, neurologists, they will tell you it comes in what activity. You can't just, you know, read, they've got to do, you need pictures, you need all that stimuli going at once, you know. Um, and, and another thing, like with my book, are these books where the pictures tell the story and the kids can begin to tell the story with the pictures or is it vice versa? You know, you have all those interesting, that's why I made my, my self-help book with pictures so that people who don't like to read, teenagers who don't like to read, it's the pictures that's gonna draw them in because it's just been proven over and over again, you gotta have both of those things together. And so when we're talking about working with families around literacy, we've got to really, 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 you know, be creative. Everybody wants to be there. They wanna boss up. You want to change literacy and you want to get parents involved, 
boss up? Are you trying to start your own earring business? Are you trying to start your own makeup? Everybody wants to be a makeup artist. What better way to get people to read than starting off with how to apply makeup? You know, oh boy, you got all the parents coming through now, how to get through a bad relationship. These are wonderful ways uh, to get parents, you know, to begin to read. Mm. Woo! I mean, mic drop. I mean, I'm just like, you literally just went through a whole list and I'm gonna have you actually, because we, we, we definitely be coming up on time but I'm going to have you sum up for us uh, three ways in which, I mean, you pretty, I mean, you did it. You know what I'm saying? You know, y'all was listening, you know, y'all heard Miss Ladosha. Okay. Give a plethora. Literally you gave a multitude of ways in which to get our people reading. And one of the things that I really appreciate is that how you kept putting a stamp on the parents involvement, because that's one of the things in which with the nonprofit organization uh, that I started in 2014, ABC Read, at first we were catering towards children. But then when we realized, we're like, wait a minute, we can't just send the kids home with books and they are going to a home in which they're not seeing the parents engaging in reading. So we have to make sure that we're getting books for adults too. We have to make sure that we're getting things that our adults want to read. And then eventually we'll be able to get into some things in which we can start better helping our adults who may, who are struggling with reading themselves, because a lot of times our, you have parents who are struggling, but of course you're an adult. A lot of times you're going to be embarrassed. You're not, you know, you're not trying to tell somebody, yeah, you know, I, you know, I'm struggling with reading or I really can't read or whatever the case may be. So, but what you're doing though, is that you are taking the, the examples that you gave is about a holistic communal approach mm-hmm. for everybody to have all hands on deck and then I- you're meeting them where, where they are. I love when you talk about the, the, the brain development, literally, I just finished LaDosha. Oh my goodness. Listen to that book. What happened to you? by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. And okay. it talks about resilience, trauma, and healing. And he's a neuro, think neuroscientist. And so, and that's what he talked about in terms of how there was a kid, he was given an example of how he was 10 years old, okay, in terms of his age, but his brain was processing at like a three-year-old level, mm-hmm. you know? And just like how you said that, maybe that 55-year-old mom, you know, 45-year-old mom, but can she's you, still on a yeah, 12, 13-year-old level. Yeah, you can mimic, you can pretend to be an adult very easily, especially in America. All you have to do is just dress up. <laughs> you know, you can right. repeat, you can regurgitate things that you've heard and yep. make it sound like they're your authentic words. You know what I'm saying? We do yep. that in, all the time. Mm-hmm. So th- a lot of things that we just not just it's not a black thing you know it's just interwoven you know in Mm -hmm. our society um, people can look like an adult um and 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 do adult things but when you look at what's happening you know in their lives you can see this is not adult behavior you know Mm for the c or the clinician or whatever so now we just you know back up and let's work with the parent. Where are they psychosocially? Forget yeah. a Louis bag or she can, you know, she can have fat kids. Oh. She can do this. It does not take much to have sex. Do you guys understand? <laughs> we 
we need not say that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All different something happening in another part of the brain because right. we're taught, you know, are you a left brain thinker? Are you a right brain? And now they have told us over and over that was probably the worst you know, analogy and how the brain works was the left brain, right brain. They have proved, and I'm sure in your book that you read by the neuroscientists, they've proven over and over the left and the right, right brain works what? In unison. Yep. There is such thing as a right brain thinker, but if you're old, you know, your mm-hmm. mind, you might hear someone 55 say, well, I'm a right brain thinker. To a kid that's like 16, that doesn't make any sense because that that's old. That doesn't make, that doesn't, it, it, that's, that's not real. And so we have to understand that both parts of the brain are working together. Um, psychosocially, we have to take that into consideration. And then we can begin to come up with so many creative re- ways to begin that process of literacy by those very identified social ills that that really irritates us as um, professionals be it a teacher a clinician whatever you know oh I just wish they would just stop you know uh, that's where you get creative Mm. and let's stay right there LaDosha so top three what are top three ways in which you would suggest in terms of trying to get our community into reading, incorporating and developing that culture of literacy um, within our our communities, our homes? What are some top three uh, ways in which you would suggest that? I think the number one way, we'll just start with number one, is to let the the kid or the parent know that number one, they can write their own book. You know, that's going to be the number one way because they can do it digitally, they can upload it, they can sell it, they can make money off of their situation that they're going through. If you know how to, you know, uh, apply for your benefits, if you know how to get a car, whatever, you know, you can write this book um, and uh, same for a child. So that would be number one, that they can write their own book. Um, Then number two, I I still believe in working with people where they are. So whatever issue, a crisis, or dilemma or challenge or obstacle, whatever you want to call it, whatever whatever they are dealing with, you want to begin your literacy from right there because it's a user-friendly way. It's already there. They're already telling, they've already been identified um, as a person, or you relapsed. They've already been identified, oh, um, you, you violated your probation or, you know, whatever the issue is, it's already there begin your literacy right there, begin your your project right there, of course, with a counter balance, okay? You got caught, let's fix it with this, all right? And then um, last but not least, make it relatable to where where the people are at today. So if you have a TikToker, if you have somebody who loves to post, if you have somebody um, who likes music, somebody who loves to rap, somebody who thinks they can sing, somebody who thinks they can cook, whatever is relatable, start your literacy program, start your books, your little bitty things, your directions. Did you know there's a recipe for, you know, um, how to make your own lipstick? Girl, what? Start your literacy right there. That's relatable where they're wearing those big lashes. Did you know you can make your own lashes? Start your literacy right there. 
beginning right there. And once you drape them in, there's no turning back. Why? Because per that neuroscientist, that brain is clicking. So what's starting to happen? New axons and dentrites. The brain, it's literally it's functioning, it's working, you're expanding. And then psychosocially, they're going to start to do what? Complete those tasks of development. Mm-hmm. You're doing that in a user-friendly way that's non-invasive, that's non-judgmental. Though we know, like you said, we have to use our clinical words, you know what I'm saying? But to the family, it's like, oh, Ladosha, Sasha, you know, Dr. Joy DeGruy, they're my peeps, you know, they're my, they're, they're my ninjas, you know? Yeah. Cause we get it. Yep. I love it. Oh my goodness. That you just dropped some nuggets, jewels, all of that good stuff right up on here on real reading talk. Y'all I, I always tell my listeners to make sure they have their handy dandy notebooks <laughs> and something to write with. Okay. Because trust and believe, again, with this podcast, the intent is not just to talk about the issues. Of course, you have to bring up the issues because guess what? We have solutions for those issues. We have to highlight the issues because this is stuff that's real, but we got solutions. And this is what I appreciate about you. I mean, just even with your spirit. And I love the fact, I see why you were the outreach worker. I see why you were there, you know what I'm saying, for the amount of time that you were because of the fact, just your, your, your energy. Yeah. I was that, I was that that kid. We, Mm -hmm. I know with your lights and your gas and your water and your, yeah, shut up. I I still have to read a book. Oh, I can tell you how to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I know what it's like to have a drug dealer and the mom that's passed out on drugs. I could t- and still be loved. Yeah. Yeah. We still love. Yeah. I can tell you all about that. Yeah. But nobody, if I, if, if Sasha doesn't give me a platform to um, help, then who would ever know? People would look at me and think, oh, Ladosha is just so, you know, she's got a little color, her little salon and all of this, that, and the third. And, you know, no, it's not like that. Um, so I appreciate you for allowing me to um, be on your platform to share with everybody that all of us who are coming from situations that, you know, who, who, who's, who likes to tell that the, the icky part of their life? Not a lot of people, but sometimes we have to just show the humanity in all of it. Our parents are not perfect, but you know what? Hell, she tried. You know, at least my mom tried. She did not do all everything right, but Lord knows she tried. And I think I turned out very good for my mom. Oh, well, honey, please. Very good. You fabulous, honey. I mean, I, I mean, really, I mean, I definitely, I, when I met you through Miss Tierra, I got to give Miss Tierra a shout out because this, I met you through her and she just talked about, oh, Miss LaDelsha, you know what I'm saying? She this, she that, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay. And then when my daughter, she got a chance to meet you at the school when you came and talked to the school that they used to go to at Stonebrook and you mm-hmm. came there. And so it was like on and popping from there. And then of course, oh, you already know, you already know I'm about to pub up your book. So you got, I hope you got both your books right there to show everybody. <laughs> Curly hair adventures, y'all. Yes. 
please make sure you purchase it and please tell everybody what's the the other title what they don't tell you go ahead go ahead let you say it so I have two books and so you can find them at my Amazon store you can just google any of the books if you live right here in Cleveland Ohio you're more than welcome to stop by the Reverend Design Team Hair Salon my first book is a children's book and it is titled Curly Hair Adventures it takes the readers on a rhyming journey of diversity letting you know that it's okay to be different and hair is the focal point in this children's story and then the second book this is a self-help book it's Unison sex is for everybody and this book is titled what they don't tell you at the hair salon and the tagline in is what it's time for a new conversation because i know that conversations are the perfect way to begin a segue into um reading and so um so these are my books they're also available in ebook form under five bucks so you can download the books on any of your uh, ebook platforms or if you just like me you like paper and you like to write in your books and yep. you know exactly. that yep. <laughs> Yes. Oh my goodness. And y'all, and just so y'all know, again, I've talked about ABC read before, you know, that's our nonprofit. We have purchased her books and I will be purchasing both of her books again to distribute to our community here in Cleveland. Cause that's what we do. We are supporting our black authors and we know that our authors are doing a great job out here, putting out content that we can relate to. And this is what I appreciate appreciate about our sister here, Miss Ladosha Wright. You did the damn thing. Yeah. And I just I'm, want to say I'm, thank I'm, you. I'm, I'm hoping that we can do a little small project around hair, you know, uh, in the coming months. So I, I admire you beyond what any words can, you know, capture. And then, like I said, I appreciate you so much uh, for allowing me to be on this platform, you know, and just keep it 100. You know what I'm saying? That's right. This real reading talk, you know, you know what it is, baby. You know how we do. Okay. Unapologetic. No sugar coat, no chaser. I want people to come on here and be relaxed and understand those conversations that we typically have in the parking lot, on the phone. You know, no, you had this stuff right here. What you need to say, what's on your chest, let it go. All right. Because we talk about the real, for real. So I thank you once again. Oh my goodness. Tell everybody where they, uh, real quick, where they can find you, follow you on all the social media platforms. Okay, so I am on all the platforms except Twitter. I got off Twitter, um, but I am on all of the platforms at Ladosha Wright. Very easy to follow. So I'm on YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Snapchat at Ladosha Wright. Um, and then also you can Google Ladosha Wright. I do have a website, lwrightbooks.com, and that's my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T, Wright books.com and if you are interested in coming to get your herd did you can also visit us on the web at rdt that's reverence design team hair salon.com and you can google that and check out some of our wonderful reviews and i thank you so very much for the opportunity to keep it 100 about my journey to literacy 
I love it. Thank you so much, Miss LaDosha. Oh my goodness. And everybody, I appreciate you again for tuning in to another episode of Real Reading Talk. My name is Miss Sasha, and please make sure that you are reading for at least 30 minutes a day. Thank you again. Peace. What did I tell y'all? I told you all this was going to be an excellent, phenomenal conversation between uh, Miss LaDosha and I, and that is what we had, okay? You talk about over-delivery, all right? This is what Real Reading Talk is all about. And I love the fact of being able to have this platform where our people can feel comfortable about talking about uh, their upbringing, their background without feeling guarded, um, you know, and, and just being able to really talk about the issues and being able to give solutions. And that's what I truly believe that LaDosha did. And I really appreciate her once again for being an awesome guest on Real Reading Talk. And I wanna say thank you all again for listening, for supporting what it is that I've been doing. And please make sure that you are taking notes and sharing these episodes as well. So let me, uh, you know, get some, some business out the way, which is letting you all know again that I am a pre-K through fourth grade reading tutor. And the name of my reading tutoring business is ABC Learn Tutoring. So if you have a child who is struggling with things like phonemic awareness, uh, you know, being able to uh, connect those uh, letters to the sounds of the letters, or if they are struggling with comprehension, they are struggling with fluency. These are just some of the things that I help our babies overcome. So please make sure that you go to my website, abclearntutoring.com. Click on that free reading assessment so that I can give your child the help that they need. Please do not wait to the end of the school year. All right, we got to get on this ASAP. And also I'm the founder and executive director of ABC Read. And our mission is to develop and nurture a culture of literacy in black and underserved communities. And we appreciate those of you who have donated to our organization because you know we are in the business of making sure we are helping to build those home libraries, creating great reading events, great reading experiences uh, for our people. And also, you know, we got the food on deck, right? Got to have those healthy food options uh, for our people as well. Go to abcread.org and please go check out what we've been doing. And if you would graciously uh, bless us with your donations, that would be totally awesome. All right. And of course, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. Reading is freedom. It has a multitude of read alouds on there. Also, make sure that you subscribe to ABC Read, which is the uh, YouTube channel that is for our nonprofit. All right. So make sure you subscribe to that as well. And also, I just wanted to, oh, and also I am a certified dyslexia tutor. I have to remember to say that, uh, you know, a lot of times I forget to say that, but yes, I am a certified dyslexia tutor. Uh, so that is an area in which I can help your child as well in. And then I want to share with you all a couple more things. Uh, I, the books that I've been reading, uh, which uh, I just finished listening to the audiobook, What Happened to You? 
this is a book that talks about resilience uh, due to trauma and also healing. This book was written by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. It was a conversation style book. I actually liked the fact that I was listening to the book on Audible. I think that was, uh, it, it was really great. I loved because they were just, you know, it was like literally it was a conversation between them two her sharing her stories, him explaining from the neuroscience perspective about what trauma does to the brain. And in real talk, a lot of the different things that he talked about, Dr. Joy DeGruy talked about already in her book, Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome. But he does go in more depth in terms of how the brain, uh, how it takes in information and how our brains function. So that was definitely what I appreciated. And uh, so I would highly recommend you all uh, getting that book, whether you want to read it or listen to it. And actually what who brought me on to that book uh, was uh, who I call affectionately uh, my other mommy. Um, her, uh, she's was my stepmom, but you know, I, I call her mommy, but she was the one who had recommended that book. She asked me to uh, order copies of that book to be able to give to the community. And so I was like, okay, yeah, bet. I'll make sure I do that. And then I said, you know what? Let me, I said, let me go ahead and listen to it, you know, audible. And I am so glad that I did. So, um, yeah. And I also have been reading, rereading still the post-traumatic slave syndrome book as well. And, uh, so, yeah. So I just wanted to share that with you all and, I should have a quote next to me, but I actually, I don't have a quote next to me right now, but what I will do is let's see that I'm going to, I like saying this quote. I say, I say this quote a lot, especially when I didn't have a quote next to me. That quote is literally not coming in my brain right now. I should have had it written now, but anyway, uh, reading is not optional. That quote is by Walter Dean Myers. So just always remember that, okay? We should always make sure that we're doing everything we possibly can to get reading in our lives daily. And just as you heard me say, if you cannot read a physical copy of a book, you can listen to a book. Audible, you can go to YouTube. Again, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Reading is Freedom. So there's, you have a multitude, plethora of choices. All right. No excuses, y'all. 2023, no excuses. All right. Thank you all again for listening. And I appreciate you all for rocking with me, my new, my newbies and my old heads. Please make sure you subscribe, like, share. This will be uploaded to all the podcast platforms. All right. Please make sure you share, leave comments as well. I thank you and please keep reading for at least 30 minutes a day. My name is Miss Sasha, Real Reading Talk, Episode 3, Season 3. Peace.